Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to The Parenthood. I'm a big believer that the harder conversations, the ones that aren't about the happy, shiny things, but about darker, more difficult parts of our life, are the most rewarding. Being honest about when life seems to fall apart often not only helps us, but others. My guest today is one of those brave people who's not afraid to have these kind of conversations. After her son Gray died when he was just 21 days old, Georgina Lucas wrote a book, If Not For You, about his short life and the profound impact it had on her. And while on the one hand it's incredibly sad, the story of his life is actually incredibly beautiful because I believe it's possible to do awful things well and Georgina and Gray's story is just that. Georgina, thank you so much for coming along today. I was so moved by your book because it was just such a beautiful story of a, tra- a tragic story, but so beautifully written for a start. But, you know, certainly the sort of generosity and support you had from the people in the NICU and the people surrounding you were, it was just amazing, amazing story of human kindness. Yeah, I think that is definitely what I one of one of the big things I take away from it there's all sorts of things but the the NICU staff were absolutely incredible and I think I say in the book you know the worst of times show you the best of people and the best people and I really believe that they really made the darkest darkest days light-filled which sounds so contradictory and I think one of the things I found difficult afterwards was people saying it's a, such a tragedy. Everything about it is such a tragedy because obviously it was a tragedy. It's horrendous. He is dead. He's not here. But there were so many moments of beauty through his life and of joy. And it taught me so much about life and about the kindness that hides in, you know, the most unexpected places and the joy and the laughter that you find amongst the most awful things. You know, I remember after Grey died, Mike was changing his nappy to get him ready to be taken away and he weed and we all just burst out laughing and it felt so strange because there was our little tiny baby boy who was dead but we were laughing and laughing with the nurse and I think it's very strange because before I always thought very much that sad things were sad and kind of happy things were happy and sometimes there were intersections but really you can kind of box things up and actually you can't and I think um you know, the kindness and joy in those in those days was kind of some of the purest joy that I've ever really felt and had. And, yeah, it was a lot about the staff and how 
they just went above and beyond all the time, you know, as well as looking after him and having this incredible medical knowledge. They were just so compassionate and so kind to us, always. I mean... There's so much. We've, we've come out of a pandemic, and obviously this all happened at the begin in the in the middle of well, just before the pandemic. Just before didn't the it? pandemic, yeah. yeah. And obviously during the pandemic, it was all about you know the amazing NHS staff. But I feel since it feels like the NHS are falling apart a bit, and there's lots in the news about how useless it is and people waiting ages for operations. But I'm reading your book. It really struck me that we've become so much better at supporting parents and children in these awful situations. I remember reading um, the autobiography of the Dowager Duchess of Devonshire, Deborah Mitford, and she had, I think, two or three children who were stillborn or died very shortly after birth. And she describes, and so this would have been in the 50s or the 60s yeah. she gave birth at sort of 32 weeks and the baby was taken away and about an hour later the doctor came in to check her and she said you know what about my baby and he looked at her and went we well, don't think he survived do you you know this is 50 years ago 60 years ago maybe a bit longer my maths is terrible but we've come such a long way and for that I'm so grateful I mean it was it was Certainly my experience of, of losing a baby wasn't anything like yours. And that's partly because it happened in a different country, but also partly because, you know, I think in the UK we are slightly ahead of the game. Mm. Yeah, I, th- I mean, I think it's absolutely heartbreaking and horrendous to imagine that in, you know, fairly recent history, that was how women were being treated, the Dowager Duchess, and, and then you as well. And I think... I've been contacted by people since writing the book, actually, interestingly, quite a few fathers saying, you know, I remember one saying really honestly, I feel some envy at the way that your experience was because he remembers being handed a clipboard and just asked really curtly, you know, buried or cremated. And you think that's that's someone's child. That's their baby. And unfortunately and sadly, I think even now our, our experience is not universal. I don't think people have that same treatment wherever they go. And one of the reasons I want people to read the book is because I think it makes such a difference. It really makes such a difference how you're treated in those times, how you are then able to frame that experience in your life. It doesn't make it any less horrendous. It hasn't been an easy journey since Grey died, but knowing how beautifully and compassionately we were treated while he lived and in his death, I think helped us so much that it wasn't an added layer of trauma that we had to deal with. You know, everything about the way they treated him was as a as a human being, which is which is what he was, you know, which is what the Dowager Duchess's babies were. And it was breaking my heart recently seeing on the news, um, you know, women who haven't known where their babies have been buried and have I saw a woman recently who her local councillor had found where her baby boy was was buried and she was in her 80s going to see him for the first time and you know just sitting next to this resting place and saying kind of mummy's here and she said she felt a peace that she kind of had been searching for for her whole you know since he'd been born and and he was dead and I think it's it's so important it's so important to remember that and to know that the love that you have for your child, for your baby, is, you know, it's the same as your other children. I love Grey just as much as I love Finn and Bear, my other children. And the shortness of their life has no impact 
on that, you know, you don't think, oh, well, he only lived for three weeks, so, you know, I'll, I'll get over that. There's less, there's less love, is there? You know, like you with Willem, you don't think, oh, after, after a bit of time goes by, we'll just, we'll forget about him. You don't, do you? They're, they're part of your family, you know, albeit in a way that no one would ever want, but they are. And, you know, I, I really always think that <clears throat> the way the doctors and nurses validated that and validated our feelings was just completely critical um you know we had the odd time I had the odd conversation I was reminded about scans a couple of times after Gray had died and had not that compassionate conversations with people and it gives you such a jolt and I have an incredible support system I have a wonderful husband a wonderful family amazing friends and and you're so vulnerable in those moments that the way you're treated I think has a huge impact on on how you're dealing with it on how you process it longer term and it it's so important for everybody to know that and to know that you you need to support people and be there for people and not you know not think oh well you know you didn't know them or they only lived for a week or a few weeks so it doesn't matter that's you know it's just not true that's not how it is so yeah, I think it's, I, I feel so lucky that we had that experience and that I think, you know, people like you speaking about your experience, I know has hugely shaped the way as a society we view this so that when this came to happen to us and, and Grey died, which was two and a half years ago, the world has moved on and hopefully continues to move on and these conversations continue to be happen because sadly, babies are not going to stop dying much as I wish they would I wish we had been the last ones every person I speak to who's lost a baby afterwards I have that jolt of thinking oh my god how you know you feel how is this still happening but it is um and while we work out how to make it not happen I think the most important thing is for people to know and understand a little bit about how you can support someone who goes through it yeah, I mean, it's that continuing of a conversation. For me, it was, it was you know, the conversation that I've sort of initiated um, has helped me massively because, you know, as you mentioned, that idea that you love that child and that child will always be a part of you. And it's almost more hurtful when people don't want to talk about that child, this kind of notion that because they didn't live, they don't count, Mm. which so often we slightly get fed back into. I mean, one of the things I always struggle with is when people say, how many children do you have? And more often than not, I'll say there are two. But I have three children. You know, you have three children. And it's that's like one of the things I feel so difficult, you know, so conflicted about. Yeah, it's such, I find it so difficult. I find at the moment because Finn um my son is is just turned four and then Gray is in the middle he would be two and a half and then Bear has just turned one and I refer to Finn and Bear whenever I can as my oldest and my youngest because it avoids me saying my boys or my two boys because I it's exactly that conflict of in many situations you don't necessarily want to say actually I have three children, one of them is dead, there's not the time, it's not the place to go into it. And also often you're fearful of the way someone is going to respond to that. And I know that sometimes I say it quite flippantly because I think, you know, it's a defence mechanism and then people don't necessarily respond how you want them to and don't give him the space that you want them to. But it's incredibly difficult and I, I hate that 
question. And I think because Grey died three months before the pandemic and then we went into the pandemic and we didn't see people for a long time and we weren't going to kind of children's birthday parties and those kind of things. And I remember one of the first ones we went to afterwards and I had this, you know, I, I think I thought quite a lot of time had passed and we could go and we could almost just be normal parents and walked in and obviously, you know, inevitably one of the first questions someone says is kind of so how many children you know do you have and which one is yours and you have that moment don't you of thinking do I say two and they're those two or do I say three and then at this lovely first birthday party I've got to drop this bombshell into the room of telling you that I have another son and he's dead and he died when he was three weeks old and it's such a it's such a difficult conversation to have and it's you know it's so joyful to me when people do engage in that conversation and we were at a barbecue recently and this lovely girl just started talking to me about him and asking me and she didn't seem shocked she didn't seem kind of horrified that I'd mentioned him she said I'm so sorry and then she said you know when was it and how old would he be and what's his name and it's so lovely to be able to talk about him and I think one of the things that I feel so lucky with with the book is that I get to have conversations about him and I get to talk about him, you know, with you and say his name because I think day to day you often don't get to, do you? As you say, you know, you, you end up saying, oh, I've got two. And and that's such a difficult thing because one thing I always really think about, depending on who I'm talking to, is if I say I have two children and then later on you learn about Grey, do you then think because I said I had two that somehow I place less relevance on him and actually the reason I said two is to avoid you know an awkward conversation with you it's no reflection at all of how I feel about him but there are so many layers of complexity about it aren't there I think you know when I don't know I I remember a close school friend of mine coming over shortly after Grey had died and Mike my husband was out and I remember her sitting at the kitchen table and just firing questions at me about him and about his birth and his life and it was so lovely and you know all those things like how much did he weigh and kind of and what did he look like and what was his hair like and all these things and she said you know please tell me if you ever don't want to answer any of these questions and I said I do I do I want to you know it's it's so sad it's so sad that he's not here it's it, it will always be devastating and as you know we've talked about there are every day almost there are new things that are sad that he's missed and and we've missed um but you know being able to being able to talk about him and talk about him just normally and smiling as one of my children is really joyful to me um and I think is it's a it's a hard thing to explain, isn't it? But that's how important that is, and how much joy that brings you as a as a mother, as a parent. I think. I think for people listening who haven't experienced the loss of a child, I'd say that's the one really important thing for people to know that it is really important. It's not just okay to mention their name. It's really important. Yeah. I remember one year on Willem's birthday, I was with my family. And everyone forgot. And um, and listen, it was like five years in or yeah. four years in. So it was, yeah, I get it. But I got so upset. And they were like, oh, I'm so sorry. I was like, you forget the things that don't matter. And he mattered. Yeah. And he matters still hugely to me. And I think yeah. that, you know, is, is so important, especially as time goes on. Yeah. Because obviously without a sort of presence in life, it is easier to forget, especially yeah. if 
you're not the person that held them or gave birth no, to them exactly and you never met them and yeah it it, it, it it's really really it's like so I th- probably at the stage that I'm at now it will be eight years this summer since he died and I think it's little throwaway comments. Like I was talking to, with my sisters, or we were talking with someone else about the amount of children. We've all um, got two living children. <laughs> and, um, but Chiara, my sister, said, oh, well, maybe if, you know, if Marina had had three, we probably would have had three. And the point she was making is that you sort of follow the leader. But yeah. I sort of wanted to say I did have three. Yeah. And, and it's little comments like yeah. that that sometimes you think... Yeah, I remember a, f- a friend of mine saying you know friend of a friend saying how how's the transition after bear was born how's the transition been from one to two and I just went uh uh I didn't know what to say because I thought well in my head what's happened is I've gone from one to two to kind of back to one and then one who's here but he's not here and then when Bear was born I had this confusing I've now got two at home but I've got three so it's much more confusing (laughs) and much more complicated than a transition from one to two it's a completely different thing and of course he didn't mean anything by it and in many ways you know it was a lovely it was a lovely thoughtful thing to say because Bear was small um and it is a trans you know it's always a transition but it's just when your child when one of your children is dead everything becomes so much more complicated doesn't it I think every conversation every question becomes very loaded I am one of the things that I always get find so difficult as you know sometimes that comment that people say about kind of oh we kept them alive for a year on their child's first birthday and you know it's in many ways a kind of lovely celebration of the fact that they you know the parental input into a child's growing up because it's not just about them getting another year is it it's another year that you've had with them that you've all grown together as a family but every time people say that I have this we didn't Mm. we we didn't and and I think it feeds back into that guilt that I certainly feel and you know talking to most I think bereaved, bereaved mothers in particular but bereaved parents there is so much guilt because you think well, yeah, it's so straightforward. You kept my life, but somehow I couldn't. And, you know, I, I know objectively that's not my fault, but still somewhere inside you there's a voice that whispers that maybe it is. Maybe if you'd done something a little bit differently, they would still be here. Um, yeah, and I think, you know, people don't mean anything by those comments. I, I know that now, especially, I think, you know, two and a half years after he was born and he died... I've had a lot of therapy, I've had a lot of conversations with people and I think comments that at the beginning would have really kind of slashed me right to the core. I can take a moment to think, okay, you didn't mean it like that, what you meant was this or that or the other. But I do think the more we talk about it, hopefully the more people will pause and think about the things that they say and how that might impact someone you know which is my god I say the wrong thing in so many situations all the time we all do don't we as as human beings that's that's part of being a human but I think yeah hopefully the more we talk about it the more people will be able to to say things and and not feel you know not feel so uncomfortable and be able to join in with the conversation and and say their names kind of openly and easily and I don't know whether you find with Willem, but I, I have definitely find, found that since talking about Grey and writing the book and, you know, doing the odd interview and things, 
I notice that people feel less uncomfortable about saying his name. You know, I definitely had a few people early on who sweetly messaged or said things, but kind of would say things like, I'm so sorry about what happened. You know, and you think... The baby. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you think, what, my son, Gray, yeah. who died? Like, yeah, we can... We can that's what happened. And I, oh my God, I so understand that because there are so many things that, you know, death is such an uncomfortable thing, isn't it? Like, I'm, I'm not about to pretend that I have some magic bullet of being able to talk about death easily because I don't. Um, you know, I, I do think, and I don't know whether you find having, um, you know, having children and the questions and things that they ask that I find that sometimes throws you in a bit the deep end with the death questions because Finn will regularly say things like, you know, well, where is Grey, mummy? And then you've got to try and work out. And, you know, he he thinks that Grey is still in hospital because neither Mike nor I have offered him a convincing explanation as to where else he might be. And surely that's where he was because that's where he was born and he hasn't come home, so he's in hospital. Um, you know, and, and I think for me in many ways his openness about death is very inspiring you know he will say mummy gray is dead and he's not coming back and he's four he doesn't really know what that means but there's something you know he looks me straight in the eye when he says it you know and he says it's very sad he's dead and we are sad and it yeah i find that very i find that very inspiring it is. I think experiencing a bereavement allows you to have conversations with your children that really encourage you to connect. Mm. And I'm really proud of the kind of conversations I've had and, and the kind of thing we can talk about. I feel like I've signaled to them that there's just nothing we can't talk about. Yeah. And actually, I think they grieve quite well. I mean, obviously on a totally different level, but our guinea pigs were killed about two months ago. And obviously for the children, that was really Really sad. And I I literally came down in the morning and saw like guinea pig hair strewn across the lawn and the fox had got them. And I was like shaking because I had to tell them and I just thought this is going to be awful. And I went upstairs and I woke them up and I said, listen, guys, I've got some really sad news, but the guinea pigs are are dead. And they were both so sad. I mean, Iona literally (laughs) lay on the ground howling, banging her head against the carpeted floor, um, saying, I wish I'd never been born. (laughs) I was like, wow, this is quite punchy. But what was so lovely is that they properly grieved. They, in that moment, they were with their emotion. They cried and they exhibited everything that they were feeling. And they totally sort of purged their feelings. And we had about an hour of this. And then they went to school and I picked them up from school and, you know, we were sitting having dinner and my husband Ben was uh, away and he called them in the evening and he said, guys, I'm so sorry. And they were like, what about? And it made me realise that they had addressed this really intense feeling that they had because partly they've grown up in a house where crying and uh, an outpouring of emotion has always been acceptable, mm. actually, if anything, celebrated. Yeah. Um, and that really helped them with that sort of grieving process. And me, who was like, I'm keeping it all together because I need to focus on the children, I still feel really teary about the guinea pigs because I never had this big outward manifestation yeah. of the, yeah. the grief and my feelings. Um, yeah. But it, I did think maybe it's I've just taught them how to grieve really well or maybe yeah. they're just children and they just yeah. know how to do it instead. well I think it's a bit of both isn't it I think I remember having a lot of conversations about that after Grey died of kind of you know Finn was 18 months old at that point and um he had no idea what was going on he thought the whole thing was a big party kind of granny and grandpas appearing every five seconds and aunts and uncles and everyone bringing him presents and lots of attention and you know 
that was all wonderful and we were so lucky that he was at an age where he didn't understand what was going on and we didn't have to have difficult conversations with him at that point um you know my nephew Sam who was five who came to meet Gray and you know had he as far as a five-year-old can you know had a understanding of what was going on and you know my sister and Laura and brother had some really complex conversations with him about it and explaining because you know one of the things I think you talk a lot about with death with children is that it often happens at the end of our life and we get old and then very sadly we die and when someone younger dies that's such a difficult thing to explain isn't it well that but they didn't get old mummy no they didn't because sometimes you know all all of those um things but I think one of the things that everyone said to me is, let, you must let him see you cry. You must let him see you be sad. You must let him feel your emotions because, you know, children need to learn that you can feel very sad about something and then you are also okay. You know, you can get up and take them to nursery and then you'll feel very sad again and there will always be times when you feel very sad about this and actually you don't get over it you're not going to get over it you're always going to be very sad about it but you will carry that sadness alongside great joy in your life and I think I hope that that's a lesson that Finn and eventually Bear when he's old enough to know about Grey and you know when we'll tell him I'm sure Finn will tell him and already does tell him he has a special sort of Grey voice that he uses and says to Bear who's you know one has no idea what Finn's saying kind of we ha we have another brother and he is Grey but he is dead and um, you know I think that that hopefully will be a special lesson that Grey has kind of given to them somehow because um, it's a difficult thing I think isn't it you know Finn Finn has never grieved Grey he didn't he didn't know him he was too little but it is always going to play a role in his life in some way shape or form because he's a huge part of our lives and we're his parents um, and yeah I, I, but I think that you know the grieving the grieving out loud thing is um, is interesting isn't it because I think it's difficult particularly possibly being British I think there is a sense that you control your emotions and you know you behave kind of appropriately whatever that is I remember my granny saying when my grandfather died you know when I was 18 that the one rule at the funeral was that you know none of us should sort of cry at least not audibly um, and I can remember my little cousin sobbing and I remember looking over at him and thinking oh god granny's not going to like that and weakness think, yeah and you think actually it's so it's so important it's so important to release those emotions it's so important to to show our that's emotions. the whole point of a funeral yeah yeah the, the sole point mm. is to allow everyone to think this is happening i've yeah. got a good friend whose father died during the pandemic and they weren't able to have a funeral yeah. because the family's all over the world and it got to sort of six months ago and she was like we need to have the funeral and yeah. of course when it's not sort of pending everyone's like oh no there's sort of difficult things to do you know lots of lots of, like, we can't find a date and she was like I need to do this. I need to say goodbye to my father yeah. in a sort of public way and properly celebrate his life. Yeah, yeah, it's so it's so important. I mean, I think planning Gray's funeral, I definitely found, gave us such purpose after he died, which sounds so strange because, I mean, my God, it's just the most bizarre thing 
you could ever have to do, isn't it? Sitting there and choosing sizes of coffins and working out what you're going to do. And I feel like we definitely went through it slightly on autopilot because there's so much shock. But we had this amazing female funeral director who was so sensitive and kind and wonderful and kind of guided us through doing, you know, my friend Sam, whose little boy died before he was born and, and was then stillborn. And I remember her saying to me, it's like a messed up, although she used a slightly stronger word, scavenger hunt, you know, kind of having to complete all these tasks mm. that you're kind of thinking, what, how is, how is this real? And that tiny, tiny coffin, you know, sitting on the catafalque and I, but it's so, it's so important. And his funeral was really beautiful. I remember thinking like, how am I going to do this? How, how can you put one foot in front of the other and walk into a room and have a service for your baby, you know, in this coffin that was a wicker, you know, little wicker coffin that was smaller than the Moses basket. But the sun shone through the windows and yeah, everyone coming together and sharing emotions and celebrating his life and was such an was such an important part of the process. And actually I think it was after that I felt a bit kind of unleashed into the world because especially with with Grey we'd had these three weeks in the NICU that was so regimented and you know times that you would do everything and I was pumping while he was in the NICU and I found after his funeral I couldn't stop I think I kind of still needed that regimented kind of control over my days of something happening and I don't know whether it was partly that you know a connection to him partly kind of having yeah having some control I think because you with a newborn your day is so full of them isn't it and then you don't have a newborn and your day is full of nothing <laughs> all this space that you I think sometimes you didn't even realize you had made for this person coming in and then you have these days that are just empty and you're sitting there thinking what do I do what how do how do we do this I remember Mike and I sitting at our kitchen table and saying how do we do this how do we do we pretend do we pretend to Finn that we're happy do we you know how do we get through kind of life forever now how how do you know his first birthday will roll around and then his fifth and you know you this year Willem's eighth like one day that it'll be their 18th their 21st their 30th you know I hope I we live that long um and and then now I look back and I think we don't have to pretend we don't we're we're I'm really happy and that doesn't mean that some days aren't hideous and as we were talking a bit about earlier sometimes moments creep up on you and sometimes I think days that you thought were going to be really hard actually end up being easier and I, I had a moment you know the night before Finn and Bear both had their birthday last week and their, their birthday's on the same day and the night before just a moment thinking oh this should he should be here you know kind of joking and laughing about the fact that he gets to have his own birthday and they have to share and it was really hard and sad and then that's bound up into then feeling how lucky that I have them and it's confusing isn't it because I think that can then bring about guilt I sometimes find when I find things hard inevitably about parenting I have a little voice somewhere in my head saying you shouldn't find this hard you know you've you've done really 
the hardest thing hopefully you'll ever have to do this this should be easy but those things are still hard you know the first time we did bath time with Finn and Bear I sobbed afterwards to Mike and it was partly that I was sobbing because I was exhausted and it had been really hard and partly because I felt so bad that I found it hard because I thought I've spent so long dreaming of putting two boys in the bath and washing them together and and then it's come and I'm exhausted and I can't do it and you know this one's crying and he needs feeding and that one needs a story read to him and it's yeah it kind of feeds into everything really doesn't it I think the grief the love their position in your life and how how you frame them in in your life I think what do you do on on uh, Gray's birthday? So we, for the last um, for the last two years, we have had a little party with a cake and um, blown out candles. And the year before, so for his first birthday, we bought Finn a little present. And then last year, when it was the first year that Bear was here too they gave each other little presents just on his birthday because we thought rather than each year kind of giving them a birthday, a present on their birthday from Grey, he'd do it on his birthday. Um, And actually I find his birthday really joyful. Obviously I think, sounds funny to say, but I feel quite lucky that we have his birthday and his death day as separate days because obviously I know for you and for anyone whose baby dies before they're born, those days are combined, which must add such a layer of confusion to it what what do you guys do for Willem's birthday we usually we've never had a cake um but we do refer to it as his birthday as opposed to his death day yeah um and we usually I just sort of do like my favorite what I want to do I'm really indulgent on that day I think I want to surround myself with my favorite people and do really nice things yeah and I suppose it's a reflection on you know how lucky we are which I know sounds a bit kind of contrived but I do feel that he it was so sad that he didn't live one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes nice dress uh it's a it's a t-shirt until you tried it on same goes for your health care that's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. But he does have this amazing legacy that he sort of taught us so much about life and love and friendship and this kind of idea of post-traumatic growth, I feel like I'm a better mother and a better wife and a better friend yeah. because I experienced that trauma of having lost a child. And so while he's not here and while he didn't even get to make a sound outside the uterus, like he has this amazing legacy and that's yeah. sort of what we celebrate. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of why I get annoyed when, 
you know, he there's this like danger of him getting forgotten because yeah. he had such a profound impact on us as a yeah. family and, yeah. and beyond that as well. Um, that I just like it's a day to make him really relevant and celebrate that sort of who he was. Yeah, one hundred percent. I com- I completely agree. I think it's funny, isn't it? Because with the whole thing of asking how many children you have, when I think of my children, I think of all three of them. Like their little faces pop into my head together. And the effect, you know, I think all of your children have a huge impact on your life, don't they? But the effect that he has had and the impact on my life and the things that I have taught, that that he has taught me, is just absolutely enormous. And I completely agree with you. I feel like he has made me a a better mother. Um, I sometimes worry that he has made me in some short term a bit worse friend because I think for the last few years I have probably been more kind of self I think self-involved is the wrong thing but you know I think I've had to focus on myself and Mike and our family maybe more so than naturally feels comfortable because I want you know you want to I want to be there for friends and things that I haven't necessarily been able to be um but the sense of perspective that his life and death has brought to me is just amazing really is which as you say it feels so confusing doesn't it because you think on the one hand I would much rather that he was just here and you know kind of cheeky naughty two and a half year old running around but this legacy and presence he has in my life is kind of so much bigger you know he he feels I think sometimes like a kind of little wise old man who sort of sits on my shoulder and comes around to places with me and you know yeah does sometimes kind of tap me and remind me like this doesn't matter don't get stressed about this sometimes I get stressed about it anyway but um I think yeah I I sometimes miss the kind of clarity of the immediate aftermath of his life and death which sounds so strange because my god you know in many ways those days were so hard and so heartbreaking um but I feel like I knew so clearly what really mattered and I definitely forget sometimes now and <laughs> worry and stress about tiny things. But inevitably, I think he does bring me back to kind of, you know. But by writing the book and talking stuff. openly about Grey, you're essentially telling your friends that, you know, you can have whatever conversation they need to have. And I definitely find, and it continues, you know, it happened again a couple of weeks ago, that rubbish things happen to people and we feel that we need to keep them close. Yeah. Um, and they can tell you. Yeah. And you can give them permission to talk about it, to acknowledge what they're feeling. And most of the time all I do is listen. Yeah. But the fact that people feel that they can tell me about the really rubbish stuff that's happening to them, you know, I think that does make you a better friend. It makes you... Yeah. We probably all could do with fewer friends but more intense <laughs> connections. Yeah. And that, I think that's probably what what has been achieved. Definitely. And I think as well... Um, there's something really refreshing isn't there about being able to you know with friends and also I think sometimes with you know people you meet being able to cut kind of small talk I've never been very good at small talk anyway and actually sometimes when you say kind of oh yeah I did did have another son and he was born and he died you can't really then kind of chat about the weather or something kind of (laughs) innocuous do you you end up having slightly bigger conversations about kind of life or you know, parenting or, you know, connections to people or friendships or, I don't know, which is which is quite refreshing in many ways, isn't it? To, to not have to sort of talk around subjects, but 
mm. to talk about kind of life really mm. Mm. and what what that means I always felt so guilty about you know teaching antenatal classes that I was like the sort of horror story that no one really ever wants to think about and here I was teaching their classes and but I was like I can't not I can't introduce no. people myself to people and not tell them about possibly the most pivotal you know happening of my life I mean that just not. feels so insincere um but so I do I always when I introduce myself I you know I've got Ludo and I you know but I also have Willem yeah and um it's amazing how just that acknowledgement gives people permission to acknowledge that their lives aren't perfect and yeah. it's so interesting because we go and go around the room and people introduce themselves to us and the amount of times people are like you know I have had seven years of IVF to get here or I've had miscarriages or I'm not even sure I want this baby and you know to acknowledge all the kind of feelings and you know problems in marriage or relationships and and actually I do think that helps us so much as people I'm not saying necessarily to the whole world but amongst a small group of people who you kind of only just met but you're going to rely on massively to start that relationship off with I'm vulnerable. Yeah. You know, my social media might not suggest this, but no. I can also have but a really tough yeah. time. Yeah. I think it's an amazing way to, to start a relationship. I completely agree. I think it's such a it's such an important thing and, and it does create deeper bonds. I think, you know, as you say, with social media and things, we're possibly not very good as a society at acknowledging the kind of bad stuff that happens and everyone wants to paint a glossy veneer over everything and life's not really like that is it and actually I think lots of the real magic and like the deep love comes from the toughest moments you know I often think that about Mike and I and you know my god the have been times and I'm sure will continue to be times where we're on a different page and we you know we've definitely we process it Grey's death differently we've felt differently about all sorts of things but actually you know I remember thinking when we were sitting in the room and Grey was being given his diagnosis kind of I thought that real true love was like the kind of walking down the aisle and in the pretty dress and you know I didn't really obviously I knew it was a lifetime of marriage but you know lots of you think kind of the fairy tale is the beautiful moments and actually I thought no this like watching you hear this news about our son this is true love because I wish I could save you from this Mm. even more than myself and I can't and but I also know that we're going to walk through this together we you know we'll probably fight at different times and you know I actually remember my friend Sam whose son died saying that um I remember going to see her afterwards and saying how are you doing and she said oh we had a fight this morning my god it was such a relief because we've just been being so bloody nice to each other for the last few weeks and it was such a relief to have a bit of normality and you know so you do it it doesn't kind of suddenly gold plate of relationship does it but it I think, you know, walking through a furnace together and coming out the other side definitely taught me a lot about love and how, you know, how things look versus how they actually are and what really matters in in relationships, I think. All right. You know, our partner's often so little comparatively by the time we either get married or have Mm. children. And I remember thinking, you know... I loved Ben because he was fun and good-looking and we had a great time together. And 
And then you realize you go through that and you're like, God, I'm married to a rock, you know, someone that will, will get through this. Yeah. And I definitely found it was that sort of sink or swim moment. Yeah. And I couldn't have swum without him. No way. Yeah, totally. I remember my dad saying, actually, he said, this is a funny thing to say, but in some ways I envy you and Mike. Um, and I sort of said, why? And he said, well, you know, because you've walked together through probably the fieriest furnace that life can throw at you. And you've walked through it together. And, you know, he was like, I'm not about to imagine that the furnace is kind of over. But, you know, he's like, that's quite an amazing thing to have done in many ways. You know, because I know that sounds funny, but I know what he I know what he means exactly as you say, like this, you know, Mike's funny and good looking and great and we have a really fun time and then actually yeah he was a rock as he held me together held our families together I, I felt like I just kind of wandered through the days that Gray was in NICU and kind of was you know didn't know what was going on he was the one updating people and contacting friends and yeah I remember sitting with the funeral director and her saying you know I, I'm going to address my questions to Mike because I you know I do tend to find that you know, possibly the partner is the one who's in charge and kind of Mike was sitting there, you know, with this folder and a pen and I had this kind of grubby tissue paper and a bit of tissue in my hand. I was kind of, you know, and thinking, yeah, he's definitely the one that is that is holding all of this together. And then I think, you know, the interesting thing that I know Tommy's have obviously done a lot of work around is that then I was the one who had a lot of, the kind of you know I say attention it's not not just you know a lot of the support more outwardly was very focused on me and whether I was okay and you know actually I you know I still think now it was Mike that was kind of shouldering the brunt of so much stuff you know I when Gray was in hospital I found I couldn't they do a ward round where they talk through kind of different aspects of the baby's care and I found sometimes I just couldn't be in it I couldn't you know I wanted to know but I I just found I'd sit there and I'd be second guessing what their faces meant and when they were talking about this or that the other did that actually mean that or were they really saying this you know so he'd do all of those and feed it back to me and everything he was he was running it all and and then I was kind of you know would be sitting on the sofa at home because I was on mat leave and he was having to go back to work and it's, I mean, it's phenomenal. And I, you know, just thinking about that, I think I've never probably kind of thanked him you know, for holding us together. Because he did. It's a combination, you know. I'm sure if he was here, he'd say you held him together. Uh-huh. And um, I think often there's lots of different roles. Mm, there certainly are, aren't there? I want to talk a bit about Bear and about your pregnancy after Gray was born and after he died and how that was because I think very often people think oh, I'll have another baby and it will make everything better but I also know that it is often so affected by the trauma of what you've experienced you know a the worry that it will happen again yeah but also that realist that reality that it doesn't replace your child that no. it doesn't make it all better yeah. at all and sometimes it can you know you can struggle and feel very guilty as as you acknowledged, you know, this idea is, you know, bath time with two boys is all I wanted and I can't even do that. Mm. How was that for you? So I, 
I had a C-section with um, great. I had, I've had had C-sections with all of my with all of the deliveries, um, and so I I remember actually driving back to London from because Gray was born and lived in Kent and I think it was about two weeks after he had died and I remember saying to Mike well, I, we need to have another baby I need to have another baby and I think Mike was kind of thinking what are you talking about I think I need I just I don't know it felt like this kind of I don't this instinct inside me that I needed to have another baby and we'd been told it would really not be sensible or safe to kind of try and have another baby for probably around about a year after I'd had the c-section so I couldn't and and I think you know I did in that moment feel like I wanted to do whatever anyone medical told me to do because I was terrified of happening again and I remember then when we were kind of told you know okay that's you know probably enough time has passed and you can you can try and um then thinking oh god actually wait a second can I even can I even do this? You know, when it was that kind of two weeks afterwards and I, you know, obviously all subconsciously, it wasn't an option then. And now that it is, how do you do this? And um, I was very, very, very lucky and got pregnant relatively easily, um, which we, we weren't sure that was going to be the case, but I did. And um, initially I remember feeling really excited and then as I went through the pregnancy just these anxieties crept in and I always think we didn't actually we didn't tell anyone that I was pregnant except people we saw and our immediate family because I couldn't one of the things I couldn't deal with was other people's reactions to it and people saying oh my god this is so exciting and seeing in their face how I felt I should feel but I didn't I I don't know whether subconsciously I thought if I don't get excited about this if the same thing happens again I'll somehow protect myself I'll somehow you know if this baby dies too I'll feel less sad I'll, I don't know what it was but I I couldn't feel excited and I think one of the things I found was that you know there is this phenomenally amazing community of people that I was lucky to kind of find my way into through Instagram who have lost babies and lost children but one of the difficult things is that alongside knowing how Grey died there are hundreds of other ways that I knew how babies could die and it suddenly become became to me much more likely that this baby would die if they even if they didn't die the same way that Grey died there would be something else that would kill them definitely because that was just far more likely than them being born well um I had amazing support I had um a therapist a bereavement therapy which I know is not um on the NHS which I know is you know not at all universal and really should be and so I, I was seeing her through my pregnancy and I also had a caseloading midwife who saw only me and um who, who I only saw her and it was really hard and we with with Finn and Grey we found out we didn't find out what we were having. We had surprises. Um, with Bear, I felt that I needed to because I, I couldn't deal with there being any surprises. I didn't. And I didn't want people saying, oh, I wonder what you're having. Because I was just thinking, well, I just, I wonder whether I'll get to bring bring this baby home. And I think also after Grey was born and died, I spent quite a lot of time wishing I'd known he was a boy, which I know that, you know, gender is is totally 
just a construct and I, I know it shouldn't work like that but I felt like if I'd known he was a boy I would have somehow had a kind of closer relation you know I would have known him and when and then we found out that Bear was a boy and I remember thinking oh but I don't know him and actually the complicated thing is that my brain is kind of thinking that this is grey again but maybe this time I'll get a chance for him to kind of be okay and it was kind of complicated by the fact that Finn knew I was pregnant and knew it was a boy and thought it was grey as well and kept saying, it's great in mommy's tummy. And Mike and I would say, no, it's, it's actually not, it's a different baby. And then Finn would say, well, what's his name then? And we'd say, well, he doesn't have a name. So then Finn was obviously thinking, well, I mean, it's great, isn't it? Because Gray does have a name and you've got a baby boy in your tummy. You're both a bit mad. Um, and I think I kept waiting for a moment when I would feel that it would be okay. And Gray was born at 31 weeks and I got to 31 weeks. And I actually had a horrible labor scare at 31 weeks which and ended up in hospital and it was fine they did a test and I wasn't going into labor but it was all kind of quite you know big flashback but I remember thinking if I get past that maybe I'll feel better but Gray wasn't diagnosed with his chromosome disorder until two weeks after he was born so actually I didn't feel safe then and then I remember thinking oh, I'll have this moment when they do the c-section and then they give him to me and everything will be okay and um, I had to be in hospital for a bit before he was born, and which was actually quite nice in the end, apart from the fact that because of COVID, Finn couldn't come and see me, but kind of being checked and tested. I didn't, I think, I didn't really trust my body. And actually it was those 10 days before he was born where I was in hospital and I was having, you know, he was checked twice a day and I was checked and all these things were checked. I could kind of, it wasn't my responsibility to check that this baby was okay. It was kind of someone else's, which... <laughs> felt really kind of like a relief at that point and um yeah then he was then he was born and I think the first night was complicated and felt very strange and we were really lucky because Grey was born outside London we weren't in the hospital where Grey had been born which I think was phenomenally lucky because I've spoken to friends who have to go back to the same hospital and you know all those triggers which must just be so confusing and you know rooms where you've had been given bad news and and we didn't we didn't have any of that but there still were so many layers of complexity and I think I I didn't I still didn't trust when he came home that there wasn't something wrong and kept kind of looking at him and you know when newborns are first there they they can't give very much back to you they can't tell you that they're okay they can't smile at you they can't and, and they're all a bit weird. Yeah, let's face it. They yeah. all do odd things. Yeah, exactly. And and so it was it was very confusing. I felt so you know on the one hand so lucky to have this tiny thing, and I loved him so much. But it did dig up a lot of very complicated emotions. And I think you know in the nine months to a year after Gray had died, before I got pregnant, I felt like I had um, as far as maybe you can in that time frame I felt like I got to a good place like that sounds funny but you know I had a real sense of inner peace in many ways and I think you know obviously the pandemic was horrific but I think lockdown gave we were kind of forced to sit with our emotions a bit and Finn was with me and Mike was with me and we were actually really lucky at my parents house and kind of so lots of people who are incredibly important to me are very close to me and I they weren't out of my sight and I knew that they were safe and then I had this space to kind of process process you know it's a bad word isn't it you can never process it but 
to sit with it and and then suddenly I was pregnant again and I felt like it just catapulted me in many ways straight back to kind of very early grief days but without the shock that comes with those early days and and it was really complicated and I remember talking to my therapist about it and she was kind of saying in many ways you're going to grieve grey kind of from the beginning all over again because at some point your mind needs to accept that this baby is not grey it's another baby and that's amazing and wonderful but you can't you know I think you probably go through those bargains don't you of can I you know how can I kind of bring him back how this is another little boy and it was really complicated and then I think in the early days as, as I was saying a lot of that guilt around kind of feeling like I wasn't doing it very well in certain bits or I like Bear was quite little when he was born as well which was quite complicated because he Finn was you know bang on average whereas Bear was quite small and so he looked in many ways much more like Grey he was quite a skinny little baby Finn had been like a bit of a chubber um and that kind of played with my mind because I was like, why is he small? Something must be wrong. And they, a NICU doctor came to check him over, which we'd all agreed, you know, was going to happen because of everything that had gone before. And they said he was fine, everything was fine. But I just didn't quite believe it, I think. Um, so, yeah, and then I think parenting after loss is very complicated as well, isn't it? You, you suddenly... I think I've definitely had moments where I've really had to talk to myself about letting Finn especially and I'm sure you know Bear as he grows up do things because I kind of want to wrap him up in cotton wool and keep him at home with me um and it's really hard to override that instinct to think that you just stay here with me and don't climb that big climbing frame and don't go up there and don't do this because what if something happens to you and I know that all parents have that and I know you know I, I've never been an anxious, anxiety-free person. You know, I, I've always worried a bit about those things, but I think somehow when you've held your dead child in your arms and you know how that feels, you can imagine so clearly how that might feel if it was one of your other children. And it's really difficult to override those thoughts, isn't it? And to let them do things that feel dangerous it's so hard it's so hard that catastrophization mm. and I was <laughs> I went on a run this is a, a couple of years ago and I left the children alone at home by themselves for like the first time I've like literally gone for half an hour yeah and throughout the run all I thought about was all the terrible things that could happen while I was gone and I imagined that maybe Ludo I think it was just Ludo at home and he, you know, he's a really sensible child yeah. I was like what if he's in the garden and he's stung in the throat by a bee and he suffocates and I find him dead in the garden? That's what I was thinking yeah. when I run. And I was like, Marina, if you were with a friend and all that friend was basically telling you what your brain was telling you, um, that, you know, what if, what if, I'd be like, shut up. Yeah. Don't, why are you torturing me like this? Yeah. But there's this idea that there's a part of your brain that is just really mean. Yeah. There's, yeah. I don't know if you've ever listened to, there's an amazing guy called Mo Gordat, who's a sort of... Oh my God, I love he's him. Isn't he great? Mm. And he, doesn't he, have, he has a name for that part of his brain. He's given her oh, a yeah, female name. It? And he's like, she's called like Rebecca or something. Yeah. And he's like, 
just shut up. And once you think think about that sort of internal voice as a person, yeah, because he much... talks about how it's not you, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, exactly. Like, That's not yeah. you. It's you know, yeah. it's just your brain playing tricks mm. on you. And very often, that kind of inner voice is so mean and yeah. horrid and unhelpful. And he's like, by giving her an identity, I can tell her to shut up. Yeah. Yeah. And it really struck me that it's exactly that. It's, yeah. it's yeah. Um, but I think everyone who, yeah, I mean, we all experience that. Yeah, it's very um, confusing and difficult. But And did you ever get any comments of like, oh, you've now got your two boys. Well, all, uh, all's well now. All's well that ends well. Yeah, I think there's, there was there's definitely a sense and I remember my friend Sam talking about this with, with her son and then when her daughter was born that she felt like some people kind of breathed a sigh of relief of sort of, oh, maybe we can stop talking about the dead one now. <laughs> and I definitely feel like, you know, I'm not, I, I can't think of any sort of specific comments that anyone had made, but definitely there were a few and a couple of sort of, you know, I know very, very well-meaning cards and things that sort of said like, what joy after such trauma. And, 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 you know, yes, on the one hand, my God, we are so lucky to have him. And I do, I always think about that Rob Delaney thing of, you know, that he thought after his little boy Henry died, he didn't love his other children more, but he loved them better. And that knowledge that they're kind of, I think he talks about these little kind of bundles of stardust, that it's your, this amazing privilege to hold them. And I feel that so strongly. And every milestone that Bear hits somehow has this added magic because Gray never got to do that and I feel so phenomenally lucky but equally it's not fair on Bear or fair on Gray to kind of meld them together and I think that's one of the other things I find complicated about kind of some you know people obviously there's all sorts of things aren't there that we just you know people say number two about the second child and people say that oh and this is number two and I think no he's number three he came third he I was pregnant three you know far from anything else my body knows very well that has been pregnant three times um you know and it's not fair on either of them I don't think to kind of combine them together into this like he's the joy that came after the awfulness it's actually one of the reasons why I, I totally totally get the term rainbow baby and I think you know many people it, it resonates really strongly with them and I think you have to use whatever works for you for me I don't think of him, you know, I know that technically, and actually I think the NHS use it as a rainbow pregnancy, so they know kind of you need extra care and support and things, but as a concept, yeah, it it doesn't. It's a nicer name than parent of dead baby or bereaved parent. Yes, exactly, exactly. Um, But I don't think of Bear like that, mostly because, you know, and I've heard other people talk about the same, that I don't see Grey as a storm, that then, you know, the sun came out with Bear. And, And in many ways, you know, life's not that simple is it it's not it's not kind of this is all sad and then this is all happy because there was a lot of joy with gray there still is a lot of joy with gray and then there's yeah there are complex emotions with bear and i don't you know i think some someone actually a colleague of mike's i remember saying to him oh you got your happy ending um and i remember mike saying a he's not an ending he's a beginning he's his own beginning totally separate and and also, 
life, you know, we don't get to package life up into boxes like that or you tie a big bow on it and say, kind of, there's your happy ending. It's not a rom-com. No, exactly. But and we're so conditioned to believe yeah, that there is a happy yeah. ending. Every book we read, every, you know. Yeah, exactly. It's a fiction. Exactly. And I think it's interesting with, um, with the book because um, I really wanted to not you know bears mentioned in the acknowledgements but i kind of wanted really importantly him to not be in the story because i feel like lots of the the joy and some of the kind of peace i found after gray died was about him and my relationship with him and it wasn't you know i was phenomenally lucky to have finn and you know just in terms of the fact I had to get up in the morning and take him to nursery and he put a structure into my day that was really valuable and because he's a wonderful little boy but all the boys are separate you know there's Finn and there's the amazingness of him and there's Grey and the amazingness of him and Bear and the amazingness of him and obviously they all feed into each other and you know you can't separate out your children like that in some ways but in other ways it's really important to I think isn't it they are their own people whether they're alive or not alive they occupy their own space in your heart, in your mind. And I think drawing those distinctions is important. I think you're absolutely right. It's so lovely chatting to you. And I've got to say, for those of you listening, I think you can tell that this book is amazing. It really is such a beautifully written book, you know, and I think relevant for people who've lost babies and haven't lost babies and are just curious about people and humankind and... It's an extraordinary story. I know we haven't talked in great detail about what actually happened because that is conveyed so beautifully in the book. Um, so I'm kind of glad we haven't because yeah. I'll leave the book to, to you know, tell you about Grey's story. But it's amazing. I highly recommend it. I literally tore through it um, at a rate of knots and it had me laughing and crying and it was just wonderful. So thank, thank you. you so much for writing it. It's brave and such an important book. So thank you. And thank you so much for coming to chat. It's lovely to have a face-to-face chat after so long kind of it's remote. It's been so lovely. Thank you. I feel like we could kind of carry on chatting and chatting for hours. Give people a 12-hour podcast. <laughs> Might be a bit much. But no, it's been so, so lovely to chat to you too. And I mean, you know, as we've said, it's there is this amazing connection, I think. I certainly feel with with people who have... You know, though, of course, our stories are different. Everyone's stories always are. But I think some of the same emotions and feelings and ultimately that, you know, someone, someone vitally important missing one of your children, I think, does forge this kind of bond. So it's been really wonderful to speak to you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I just, I remember you saying that the parenthood was one of the first things that you listened to. It was. After. The conversation with, um, was it Jen from Teddy's Wish yeah. and Julia... Samuel, I remember. I remember I was driving along this road, and actually, whenever I drive along that road, I think about that podcast because I remember listening to it. A friend of mine listened to it. She said, kind of searching for something to kind of say, and then said to me, kind of, when you feel ready to listen to something, maybe listen to this. And I think it was about. I think it was the January after he died, and because I had had to have an operation after he died, and I remember driving. I think I was going to physio, and thought, oh, we've got you know. an hour drive I'll listen to that and it was just yeah it sounds crazy doesn't it because you think I don't want anyone to know how this feels and then it's also so comforting to hear people speak about things and you think 
oh yes that's that's how I feel that's you're you're talking to me and I'm I'm not alone in these feelings I'm not going mad because I think you sometimes feel as though you are and so yeah it was it was just remember it so clearly and it was so important such an important thing for me thank you for that well it's so lovely to hear because obviously I record these and then I I know because I do get lots of feedback but it's just really lovely to hear when it's been helpful yeah Um, but Georgina thank you so much um Georgina's book if not for you is available on Amazon it's also the most beautiful book like the cover is (laughs) they did so well with the cover it's lovely isn't it yeah I highly recommend it. Thank you for joining me today. And thank you all for downloading this episode of The Parenthood. You can subscribe, rate and review wherever you found this podcast. You can also follow me. I'm at marina.fogel. But in the meantime, from Georgina and me, thanks for listening. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.